You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 37 of that one time on tour is brought to you by Punk with a Camera. Punk with a Camera, also known as Brandon Walsh, delivers a visual experience to modern DIY punk, showcasing bands from anywhere and everywhere who share the same punk spirit in both live performance sessions and directed videos. You can find the bulk of his work on youtube.com forward slash punk with a camera or if you want to get more involved find him on patreon.com you can also find punk with a camera on facebook and instagram at punk with a camera this is anthony boza and you are listening to that one time on tour hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline Hey, what's up, guys and girls? This is Chris Swinney, your host of that one time on tour. Uh, This is where I sit down with someone in or around the music industry, and we have a stellar conversation. This week is no different. This is episode number 37, and I get to sit down and have a chat with Mr. Anthony Boza. Anthony is an author. He has done books with Slash from Guns N' Roses. He's done a book with Tommy Lee of Motley Crue. He did Eminem's first like biography type book. Uh, he's working on a book right now with Eminem. He did a book with Mick Fleetwood. The guy's been around. He used to work at Rolling Stone. I mean, he's got some amazing stories. And we talk about all of that here today on the podcast. And before I get to that, I want to take care of a little bit of business. Like I do every time I tell you guys about my amazing sponsors. Rockabilia.com is still on as a sponsor. They've been sponsoring this show since back like episode 10. So I want to give a shout out to Frankie and everybody at rockabilia.com. They're an amazing company. You guys need to check them out. They have everything you've ever wanted from all of your favorite bands, 
over 500,000 items in their store. It's insane. I remember when I was young and I'd get like, you know, Hit Parader magazine or Circus magazine and they had the little rockabilia thing in there and you would send off and you'd order these really cool shirts. Well, now it's easier because you can just go to their website and they're getting ready to put out a brand new website too. So you need to go to rockabilia.com and at checkout, put in the promo code P-C-T-O-T-O-T. That is our promo code and they'll know that I sent you and you get 15% off your order. So go check that out, rockabilia.com. Muncie Music Center is another sponsor that I tell you guys about every week. It's a store here in Muncie, Indiana that I actually work at. I teach guitar and anything with strings. If you are local, you need to go to 600 South Mulberry Street. And if you are not local, you need to go to munciemusic.com. They're an amazing store, so go over and support them. Shout outs to Dave and Blake and Scott and everybody at Muncie Music Center. Sticker Wolf is still on as a sponsor. They did the logo for the show. They've done stickers for the show. So, you know, thank you so much. They're they're a great place. You guys need to check them out at stickerwolf.com or on all the social media outlets. It is at stickerwolf. Last but not least, I'm going to tell you about Your Button Guy. Uh, Your Button Guy has done so many cool things for the show. He's done two different designs of buttons. He's done magnets for the show. If you need magnets or buttons done, like, you know, DIY old school punk rock buttons, go over to Instagram or any of the socials. It's Your Button Guy. And if you want to hit him up about prices or whatnot, hit him up. Your Button Guy at gmail.com. So after you check out our amazing sponsors, go on over to patreon.com if you want to get more involved with our show and you'd like to help us out. It does, you know, there are costs that are incurred with, you know, hosting the the files and whatnot and equipment. So if you if you enjoy what I'm doing and you think you want to help out, go over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast and become a patron for as little as $5 a month. You can become a patron and help us out and all the money goes to basically just keeping the show going. So check that out and I would really, really appreciate it. If you can't, you know, if you're not in a financial place to where $5 a month, you know, you can't swing that. Biggest thing to help the show is to go to wherever you listen to podcasts and write a review, rate it, and subscribe. That helps the show grow, especially on iTunes. Uh, We're at 91 reviews right now, and I'm toying with this idea. At 100 reviews, I'm going to give away a huge prize. So uh, go on over to iTunes if you haven't already and leave us a review, preferably a five-star rating. You know, say, say how much you like the show. Don't don't tear me down. I'm, I'm not a professional, as you can tell. But uh, yeah, go over to iTunes and leave us a review and you could win some cool stuff. When we hit 100 reviews, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give something away. I'll tell you what that is when we get closer to 100. But uh, yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening. It's really, really cold. Here in Indiana, we have a foot of snow. We're supposed to get like another foot of snow this weekend. So uh, yeah, it's winter. It's January in the Midwest, man. What can I say? I was on the phone with a buddy of mine today out in California, and he's like, oh, it's raining. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> you don't have a foot of snow on the ground. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure that you are following us on all of the social media platforms. It is at T-O-T-O-T podcast. Uh, we're posting some really cool stuff over on our Instagram so go over there. That's where I hang out most of the time. But uh, I'm also on Facebook and and we do stuff on Twitter. But Instagram seems to be the place to be for podcasts. So if you're on Instagram, and I mean in this day and age, who isn't on Instagram, go on over there at TOTOT Podcast. So now I think I am going to actually read a review. K Bix is the one that left this review. It's a five-star review. Uh, it says, the best part about this podcast is that Chris listens to his guests. It's not just question after question, it's a conversation. Chris knows the people and the business of music, so his topics are insightful, unique, and interesting. 
and because he offers discussion, his guests are comfortable and open with him. This is a must-listen if you enjoy hearing the inner workings of the music industry and the best rock bands in the biz. Well, thank you very much, K Bix. I really appreciate that. If you want to have your review read on the show as well, just go to iTunes and leave us a review. And I might, you know, I might read it on the show. And K Bix, and then last week I read V Rob. If you guys want, you know, like a little sticker grab bag, hit me up at TOTOTPodcast at gmail.com and I will send you guys some free swag. So if I read your review on the show, I'm going to send you some cool stuff. Uh, speaking of my email, TOTOTPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to become a sponsor of the show, hit me up and we'll figure it out. I'm looking for bands right now. Uh, I have uh, a couple lined up for the next couple episodes. But if you guys want to be a sponsor on the podcast, go ahead and hit me up and we will figure it out. I think I'm about done with everything. Once again, like I always say, it's about 1.30 in the morning. I'm doing this. I just got my son to sleep a few hours ago and I've been doing some, you know, busy work on the podcast. Now I'm recording my intro. So thank you guys for coming along on this journey with me. We're going to get right into my conversation with Mr. Anthony Boza. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Anthony had some crazy stories. So without further ado, here it is, my conversation with Anthony Boza. And I'm on the line with Anthony Boza. How you doing today, man? Good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. I uh, I appreciate you being on the show. It's uh, you're my first author. Really? Yeah, dude. I, I usually talk to a lot of you know smelly punk rock musicians, but now I've got an author. I'm I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Well, I might you know I'm oftentimes smelly, so at least <laughs> I have that in common. Um, but listen, you, you're starting you're starting at the top, dude. At least you're starting with like you know yeah. the best author. I'm starting with the best the best author. I've I've read yeah, a couple right. of your books and I, I'm I'm a big fan. I gotta say, good. I'm I'm glad. Which um which ones did you read? I I read well. I read part of the the Tommy Lee book and I've read the Slash book. Nice. So and I, are- I really really enjoyed those and I'm sure we'll talk about those later on in the podcast. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, but the one thing that I want to kick it off with, and I always do this, and I know that you know you're you're around musicians quite a bit. I know that music had to be a big part of your life. What was your first musical memory, and what made you passionate about music? Um, it's a good question. My uh, first, let's see. I mean, my you know my my parents were definitely into music. So first sort of musical memory is probably you know my dad. Yeah, my dad actually, when he was a teenager, was in like a doo-wop group in the in the fifties, <laughs> um, and he was one of the dudes who sang the high parts. So he had this kind of it got annoying as I got older, but he had this tendency to always sing um, like the high parts or fall or make them up in the car. So he so, would he would like harmonize with the radio. He harmonized, but he was like putting falsetto in there when maybe it wasn't there. Yeah, because that's, that's that's that he was good at it. He could sing that stuff, um, sort of like Frankie Valley style, but. uh so I think my earliest memory is remember is like him singing too high to songs on the radio. <laughs> um, that was that. And then, you know, I grew up on Long Island, so you have to basically like have a Billy Joel album in your house or yeah, else totally. they, they evict you. So I think my first, the first record, you know, I, the first song I really got into on their collection was like, you may be right. Okay. I think it was the motorcycle sounds and stuff, you know, I was pretty young. Um, so that was like those. I would say I, that was the record I, I, you know, kind of dove into as a kid. And then the thing that really turned me around was when I heard um, Debbie Harry singing "Heart of Glass." Oh yeah. And, and then I was like, 
what is that? And then I was like, girls are cool. <laughs> girls are cool, uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of changed everything for me. I like heard that and heard, you know, the, just the crazy kind of like the production and everything. Um, and that sort of bugged me out. And I, I totally just got into like dove through like everything in their record collection and stuff like that. So growing up in long on long Island, uh, did you go into the city much and maybe go to like shows when you were in like high school? Oh yeah, totally. Um, I lived close enough to uh, a train that I could basically when I was crafty enough and old enough, I could, I was able to tell my parents that I was going to the library and my friends and I at first would just, we just take the train into like Penn station um, and just even like play video games and, and drink tall boys cause they would sell them to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and after that, you know, I would kind of do the same thing and, and go to, go to shows. Definitely, for sure. I went to a lot of stuff at the Ritz, which is Webster Hall now. Okay. That was one of my main main spots. I saw like all kinds of crap there. Um, did you spend any great. time at the Crazy Donkey there in Long Island? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> that was the <laughs> last. The that was the last donkey? place that uh, that I played with the Ataris. It was back in like 2010 or something at the Crazy Donkey. I just remember that was a cool name for a venue. It's a freaking awesome name. I'm like angry that I didn't go there. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was like a place that had been there for a while or if it was just like a pop-up place. But yeah, it was called the Crazy Donkey. I don't know if it's still there or not. I guess I could Google it, but I, I don't have the option right now. So Yeah, the podcast would get boring pretty The podcast quick. would get super boring if I was Googling everything. Let's just Google the, the entire list of shows <laughs> yeah. ever played at the Crazy Donkey and talk about that. <laughs> so uh you were you loved music it was a big part of your life you uh ended up interning at rolling stone in 1995 i saw when i was doing some research uh what led to that and i mean was it kind of your passion to do journalism at the beginning uh i you know i went to college but not for journalism um and it's funny i went to northwestern university which has the uh the, the very renowned school of journalism and i didn't go um I was going, I basically, it was sort of after college, wasn't sure what I was going to do. And some, you know, extenuating family circumstances that were out of my control kind of brought me back here uh, sooner than I wanted to come back. But it all worked out for the best because, you know, I was like living at home and, uh, and really just wanted to be in the city. And I, you know, started like, I, I, you know, I started bartending and lived with an older cousin of mine and just sent out my resume to, uh, to Rolling Stone and to a bunch of magazines. The other one, I, I got an internship the same day at Paper Magazine, okay. which is, which is you know, I think cooler. <laughs> um, back then it was because it was like downtown, and you know, it it still is. But uh, I got a job. I got an internship at both places on the same day, um, and mostly because I had actually sent my resume in too late to get into the magazine section of Rolling Stone. But um, I was going to be accepted for the next sort of, uh, you know, round of interns, which would have been, I don't know, like four or five months later. But when Kurt Cobain killed himself, the Rolling Stone had a books division back then still, and they needed to get a book done really fast. So they basically took all the interns that were approved for the magazine. And, uh, and that was a kind of a cooler internship because I was like working on, you know, it was like be a regular sort of magazine intern or work on a Kurt Cobain book. And I was like, I'll do that. So were you doing like editing and stuff? What were you doing for the, for the book? No, not at all. I mean, really, you know, I was an intern, so it was just like gathering every single mention and article that had been written on him in Rolling Stone for writers that were going to write these big essays about him. Oh, God. Um, but I was pretty good at research because I was a history major and <clears throat> the, the, the um, two editors of the book department 
they gave me like more responsibility in terms of just helping the writers. And that was pretty cool. I was sort of like an assistant to the writers working on it. And I helped like do photo clearances and stuff like that. Um, and then they sort of kept me on and I, uh, I worked on the Rolling Stone encyclopedia of rock and roll, which they were going to do their second edition. And, um, they kept me on it. They weren't paying me. So I got a job <laughs> at a bar and then still did that a couple of days a week. Just because I loved it. And that actually started involving interviews. Because okay. like the Rolling Stone Encyclopedia was it's really thorough. And um, you know, there were tons of people that were they were sort of you know, all these writers were updating these entries. And they had some pretty obscure artists in there. And when nobody had any idea how to sort of get in touch with them, it was my job to figure that out. So and like call record companies and call publicists or, you know, find a manager. Um, Stuff and that, that would have been a way easier with the Internet, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> this was like, 90, you know, 96 at this point. Yeah, yeah. It was brutal. There was LexisNexis, which still exists. And that was like the only writer thing. And I guess, you know, to make a long story longer, but I, I did all that stuff. And then I was basically there was, you know, Rolling Stone uh had its own library I'm, I'm not sure if they still do if everything's digitized now but there was a librarian and I was in there so much that she actually got you know got it approved for her to have an assistant and she hired me because I was like <laughs> re the research guy that's so awesome. that's how it happened and then I just sort of stuck it out and you know was like I'm gonna work in the music department <laughs> I'm you know well, so I, I read I read on the internet that you actually championed Eminem to them before he was even signed or even a thing what was that all about where did you hear about Eminem and can you like take me down that road how you how you ended up talking to Rolling Stone about him sure well I was by then you know I stuck it out as a research assistant in the library and then I worked a lot for all the music writers and got myself um on the short list to be hired to be the music, uh, the music editor's assistant when one, uh, someone who'd been there for, I think like eight years, she was moving on. Um, not, not, you know, she didn't die. She was not yeah. moving on in that way. She was <laughs> moving on to other, other, another job. Um, and, uh, so I, I was the assistant there and I had a friend who lived in LA and, um, was really into, you know, sort of backpacker hip hop. And like, so was I like all the raucous record stuff and just that kind of, you know, style of, of hip hop we were both really into. Um, and he got, he taped Eminem freestyling on, uh, on the wake up show, okay. the radio show where they still have like unsigned rappers just spitting verses and stuff. And he was just like, he was, he, this, you know, my buddy was, was totally obsessive about, collecting stuff and everything so he just sent me a copy of that and i was just blown away and was like this guy's amazing um which he is and you know was it was very much like the young kid at rolling stone going into his boss like this car is gonna be famous you know yeah yeah um, so i basically did that and, and was like can i write about this guy please because i hadn't really i had i was doing small columns and stuff um but I hadn't have I hadn't written like a story, like a major story at all. So I did that, and my editor was very nice about it, and was like, you know, slow down, son. <laughs> we don't we don't Rolling Stone doesn't really write about unsigned rappers. But if he gets signed, let me know, you know. And then lo and behold, he got signed. Yeah. And basically, my assignment was going to be um, to write a short article about the My Name Is video because that was all over MTV. And it was a big deal. And it was only going to be about 400 words. 
So that was my assignment. And then they sort of saw how many units they were shifting for the release of the record a month later. And it looked like it was going to be a big hit. So, I mean, my editor was like, you know what? Here's your shot, man. Everyone gets gets <laughs> gets one shot. Uh, so you're going to go to Detroit and you're going to write a cover story. So wow. by that time, this is a couple of years later. So by that time, I had written, I think I was writing random notes um, in that same that same uh, issue of the magazine, I covered the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony and had the cover story and just basically was like, it was like my issue. So it was a make it or break it moment. So what was it like when you got to Detroit and you met Marshall and you guys are hanging out? Like, uh, I mean, how was he back then? Um, well, the, <laughs> so Cause this I, is right before it hit huge, right? Like we, people knew it was going to get big, but this was like, pre that correct yeah this was when my name is was all over the place like that came out the, the video was out in like february the record came out in a month later um it's just almost quaint to think about the setup that the music industry used to do like, yeah. they had a single to set up a record and you know only a few select people could hear it and write about it and then you know it'd be on mtv and people would go to the record store on tuesday and buy it it's just those days are are gone uh, so it sounds really antiquated, even listening, hearing myself say this. Yeah. But um, so I, at that time, he was very much, I would say, the embodiment of Slim Shady. He okay. was like very much just ripping tons of ecstasy and drinking and just like had absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah. Um, he, he was, you know, he, he got he hadn't gotten his money yet from from Interscope. Um, he was still living in a trailer and, you know, when, when he, he was in New York to do, uh, a photo, the photo shoot for Rolling Stone with David LaChapelle, um, and at which he had never been around that many gay people before <laughs> um, he told me. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if I'd been, you know, yeah. I, I'm from basically from here, so it's a little different, but you know, he did a shoot with all like David LaChapelle's studio in, in the East village was like, you know, he, he was just like beyond fabulous, like club kids hanging out and drag Queens and just incredible stuff. And, um, that's just kind of how it was <laughs> all yeah. the time. So Marshall had never seen anything like that before. Um, so he, he did the shoot, you know, and, uh, and then he had to do uh, – his manager, Paul Rosenberg, had hooked up, I think, two gigs for maybe like five grand a piece. One was a Sweet 16 party on Staten Island. <laughs> Not kidding. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like My Sweet 16. You ever seen that show on MTV? Oh, yeah. My uh, Super Sweet 16. Yeah, I, I've yeah. seen I've seen a couple like – I'm not sure it was a couple of hip hop guys have played those parties before. So I'm imagining Eminem at one of those parties in my mind now. Yeah, well, this was like – this was definitely a seriously mobbed up situation because the guy, the it was incredible. I mean, this is I put all of this in, in the book that I eventually wrote. Whatever you say, I am. Um, most of this, these scenes are in the article I wrote, but uh, this backstory is not. So, like we, you know, we got there, and the guy, one of the the fathers businesses was owning this movie theater on staten island and uh, i mean he was just like straight out of the sopranos and the movie theater is where this concert was being held for his daughter so it was like 
it was kind of, you know, it was a music venue, but not really. There was no dressing room. It was like we had to go up a ladder to the projector room. And it was a mob scene. Like, he was the biggest thing on. That would be like, I guess, having, I don't even know, Taylor Swift for certain people. But the kid, <laughs> the kids were going nuts. And yeah. it, was, it wasn't really a music venue. So, you know, we, we had a limo that sort of pulled down this alley. And these girls, like 15, 16-year-old girls, were just going bananas. And sort of, there were just kids mobbed in the street. Um, and there were cops there to kind of like help deal with it, but it was crazy. Then, you know, this, this, like I said, this super Sopranos guy was like, my daughter said, get Eminem. So I got Eminem. He was like, <laughs> he was, he was like he's like, you're going to pause for, you're going to, you're going to pose for pictures with my daughter, like just ordering him around. <laughs> it was like, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, it's even funnier. Cause you know, uh, he had, he and stretch arms, there was like, there's a lot of ecstasy being taken and, yeah. and uh, He'd gotten nervous during the photo shoot for Rolling Stone because he was supposed to be like pictured naked, kind of. He wasn't truly naked, but you know, and he like drank all this Bacardi and then and got sick because he didn't eat anything. So he'd like drank a fifth of Bacardi, puked, taken a, two pills of E, and was like ready to do these shows. It was amazing. And, so he did and, all of that prior to, to performing the show. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Crazy. It was that sh- it was amazing. It was that show. And then we went to two other hip hop clubs and he did like two or three songs. Uh, and he was just, he never stopped rapping the whole night. He was just like <laughs> on fire freestyling and amazing. I've never seen anything like it, but that whole scene was crazy. Everyone that was in the limo was about five or six of us. We had, there was nowhere. We basically had to stand on stage behind him and then they took us out through the back immediately because the cops were worried about these kids rioting. Wow. And it was just it was just a madhouse. Like these teenage girls were like putting their boobs on the windows as we're pulling away. <laughs> they were like they were very much underage. We were like, oh my God. <laughs> what it was like Beetle I guess Beetlemania. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was insane. So but he was doing that at that point he was he was still doing that because he, he needed the cash. You oh, know, yeah, and definitely. even though he had blown up, they didn't want to they had signed these contracts. Uh, you know, six months before, I don't know how many months before that, but, um, you know, he needed that extra cash at the time, which is crazy to think about now. (laughs) What led you to, you you mentioned the book. So, uh, you know, you're doing the cover story on Eminem for Rolling Stone and then you eventually leave Rolling Stone. You do a book with Eminem. So like, was it, did you guys just hit it off and he liked you and wanted to work with you about that? Um, well, the book is one of, it's a, it's a unique kind of thing because, I mean, I, I wrote another cover story on him. And for a while, I was the only person at Rolling Stone that he felt comfortable talking to. Um, so I was kind of in with the camp and definitely like his dude. And uh, then, you know, I I'd sort of, you know, I was a senior, I was senior staff writer there. And when you're they, these things called magazines that used to exist, yeah. you, uh, <laughs> when you reach a certain point, you're either going to be an editor or you're going to be a full-time writer. So I had to sort of make a decision about whether or not I was going to like spend most of my day going to meetings and pitching, giving stories out to people that I would rationally rather write myself. Um, or, and you know, and like handle all kinds of, you know, just basically a little more corporate or kind of, you know, take a risk and write a book and hope it does well and, and make my, the rest of my career out of that. So I did the risky thing and, um, you know, I had so much material from the two cover stories and, uh, at the time (laughs) this goes to show you, uh, or Rolling Stone didn't basically at the time they had a, a, a rule that after I think it was 
how many years, six years or seven years, the original interviews, the rights of those returned to the writer, to the author of the, of the article, Wow, which would never happen now in any, any place because of the internet. Um, so I, I basically, when I left, all of the rights to those interviews had referred, had uh, returned to me. So you were able so to I use could, them for whatever you wanted. Yeah. And didn't yeah. have to pay them anything or like cut them in on my publishing deal or anything like that. Yeah. So it was a, it was a, it was a move, <laughs> um, which I don't, I definitely, they changed the, the rules after that because the book was a big success and all that stuff. So, um, so basically, you know, I went to M's camp and just said, listen, I want to write this book. That's basic. That's either, I said, I either want to like do an autobiography with you and just do it in your voice. And they, you know, they basically said, listen, we're, you know, eight miles going to come out that's kind of enough of that. We don't need a book as well. It's like, we don't want to milk. It's, it's, it wouldn't really be his style to like really go for it like that. Yeah. Um, but they said, listen, someone's going to do it and we'd rather have it be you. So you have a permission. Uh, we'll let you talk to whoever you want, clear all the interviews with us first. You know, and he, they let me, I had, t I was the only journalist who he really let talk to his mom, like wow. as much as I wanted to, I was deposed in two of his lawsuits against her. I was going to be a witness if it went to trial. Like, wow. So I was, I was there, I was on the inside in that regard. <clears throat> so they trusted me with it. And kind of what came out of it was, I mean, I mean, I guess I'm biased cause I wrote it, but it's, it's a more interesting point of view than, you know, if M's camp had controlled the narrative because it's basically me being me as sort of an insider um, writing about what I saw and his life and why it's sort of like culturally significant. It's not just a straight bio. It's, it's like I sort of wanted to take it more. Into, it's more like a college thesis on like what does what does this guy mean? Um, what does he what does he say? What does his popularity say about race relations in this country and like all that kind of stuff. You know, I have a whole chapter on like the socioeconomics of Detroit and like how, you know, the, the crash of, of the car of the, you know, the, the auto industry sort of laid the groundwork for the poverty and stuff that, that helped, you know, really affect his life. So I kind of went, I went off. <laughs> um, how, how did they feel about the book? Were they pretty happy with everything? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, he said something funny to me once about it. Just like, it's just like he, I don't know. He's just like, I didn't know there was so much to know about me, <laughs> which, is, which is funny. Um, but yeah, no, they totally were, everyone was down with it. Like his publicist and Paul Rosenberg and, you know, everybody. So, so when the book was a success, you kind of felt like you made the right choice. I mean, did you go straight into writing another book? I know you did the Tommy Lee book later on. That was more of like a co-author type thing, right? Yeah, that was the next thing I did. I um I went, I you know, got got an agent. I was like I'm going to be a writer, I'm not going to be an editor, and uh that's pretty much what happened. I you know, I got an agent. Um I had an agent for the Eminem book, which was like it was okay, and then I was sort of shopping around and I met one that was at ICM who said I have like a major rock star who wants to do an, you know, an autobiography and uh if you sign with me, like you can do it. So, and then I heard it was Tommy and kind of everybody likes Tommy Lee. Yeah. Somewhere. <laughs> Either that or they hate him. But, um, so, you know, I said yes to that. That was the first time I ever did a co-write and it will definitely be an experience that I'll never forget. And, uh, I will never do a co-write like that one again. Cause it, like Tommy just went all in and it was really fun. 
So what was the situation like? Are you you're spending a lot of time with Tommy? Like, did you guys did you go on tour with him or anything, or did you live with him? What how what was the situation actually writing the stuff down, taking the notes, and figuring it out with him? Um. Well, Tommy he, he wasn't in Motley Crue at the time, and he had he had been engaged for two years, but that ended. So he was kind of like a dude when it was just not a lot to do. And he really just dove into doing the book, um, which was crazy. And he ended, I ended up living with him mostly because at the time he was anti Molly crew and in very Tommy fashion, every time I'd ask a question about Molly crew, he would, uh, Oh, that's, is that a Molly crew fan? <laughs> every time I would ask a question about Molly, he would say, I'm not going to answer it unless you do a shot of Jack. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> This would be like 11 in the morning. I was, awesome. like, I was like, all right, dude. So eventually, you know, I, he, at the time he lived, um, still lived in Malibu in the house that was on MTV Cribs that he shared with Pamela Anderson for many years, um, which is just an incredible, like check that episode. This place is, <laughs> was unbelievable. Uh, and you know, for me it was nuts because I had always been on the other side of the fence. I was always a journalist asking questions and, Artists treat you differently if, you know, you're in a magazine, especially a magazine like Rolling Stone that's respected and also at the time came out every two weeks. So, you know, people would be a little more careful because you could turn that into news. Like once you're on their team and approved by their team and working for them and with them, it's a whole other animal. So, you know, basically, like I said, I I was (laughs) – I tried to be real professional and show up in the morning and, you know, do stuff. And eventually, you know, I didn't leave for like five days cause I was never sober enough to drive back down the Canyon. <laughs> like his, his house is at the top of a like four mile Canyon winding road. And I don't believe in driving drunk ever. So I just never left. <laughs> and then eventually he's like, dude, why am I paying for an apartment for you? Just fucking move in. I hadn't had a roommate in years. It was great. So I didn't leave for like eight months. Wow. <laughs> So yeah, would you guys, you guys would just survive. sit around, sit around and like drink whiskey and just like talk about his life? I mean, how, what is like the process for actually getting the, the stories together for the book? Well, in Tommy's world, especially then the single Tommy Lee, it, it, it would basically be like the doorbell would ring and some adventure would start that day, <laughs> every awesome. day. Like, I'd be like, all right, man, we're going to. Like, uh, you know, chill at your pool today. I was just like, his house was like this paradise. It was always sunny there. It was, it was beautiful. So, I, you know, it would just, I'd be like, all right, well, tomorrow we're going to cover these years. And then eventually just none of that ever happened. Um, but we got it done. You know, we'd, we'd end up like sitting around when, when there weren't uh, a series of amazing distractions. Then we would kind of sit and and just talk stuff over and eventually i just made the entire book he would like i said for a while there he was very anti-motley so you know we we talked about everything but that for as long as possible so basically the whole thing became the philosophy that is tommy's brain um (laughs) until eventually i was like he's like i don't want to talk about motley we did the dirt that shit's boring and i was like tommy what you got into Motley Crue when you were how old? He's like 17, bro. I'm like, and have you ever done anything else? He's like, not really. I'm like, we have to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so we eventually got there. But yeah, the book really just became, uh, I mean, as you much can't, as you can't write a story, whole book about methods of mayhem, I guess. So. No, <laughs> uh, not at all. Um, 
you know, the whole thing really became, like I said, sort of his philosophy. He's, he's such a wonderful dude with a very charming personality. And most people that I've met him who think he's like a total bad boy. I mean, he is that stuff, but he's also a giant sweetheart. And the whole thing really became kind of what makes him tick everything, you know, like everything, but Molly. So we talked about other music that turned him on, uh, his philosophy about like sex and relationships and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we got Molly in there eventually and it was really fun. And the, the whole thing became this, like, like God bless him. He's the kind of person who really does go in. Like he, when he sort of understood my process, uh, he, when I was really in the pro in the throes of like writing the thing, he would plug like a 22 inch monitor into my laptop and would sit there chilling and I'd like write sentences and then he'd like read them back in his voice and like crack up. And if he liked it, I'd make it fun, try to make it from here. So I literally had somebody giving me every single way he would say a sentence, um, which was awesome because the whole thing is supposed to sound just like him. And the whole thing became like kind of our adventure together which was fun too. It was like, like I'm a character that I put myself in the footnotes. I usually don't like to include myself, especially in someone else's life story, but it just got so funny. Like Tommy was just, it, just the idea of putting like really academic footnotes in Tommy Lee's autobiography really stuck with me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's a win. If I get a publisher to approve that, that's awesome, which they loved it. And then, then I also, there were some things that he would just crack me up so much. Like he would just, forget these details that should be kind of important to people. Um, and I just put them in there. I would like let him say what it was and then correct him in the bottom. <laughs> so the reader would be, see, I'd be like, it's just me, Anthony again. Uh, he's wrong by five years and two months. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. And he loved it. He like, wasn't insulted. He was like, thought it was hilarious. So can you, can you give me like a story that happened while you were living there that like, is just an insane, like something that just sticks out in your brain? Uh, well, I mean, most of the stuff is in there. We put a lot of it in. Okay. We really did. He was like, really wanted to be honest about it. But I mean, I'll give you a short one. Short in one's that good. <laughs> we, uh, you know, I was there for, I don't know, a couple weeks. So I mean, the, the funniest thing too, is like when I got there, he didn't, he wasn't around for two weeks and I couldn't get him on his phone. <laughs> so I'm in this apartment in San, in Santa Monica. Like I had friends in LA, so I was hanging out. But I was like, um, I, I, where is this guy? And eventually he just came back. He's like, oh, hey, dude, sorry. I just went to one of my friend's yacht off in Mexico for two weeks. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, you want to come over? <laughs> so um, that's kind of how it started. But uh, one of the greatest adventures we probably had was we went to Playboy's uh, Midsummer Night's Dream Party, um, which is the one where everyone wears pajamas. Yeah. And Tommy had never been to the mansion as a single man. <laughs> Sounds like so, a recipe for disaster. <laughs> you can imagine what that was like. So he's like, come on, dude, we're going. And we went and he's like, but we're not wearing pajamas. So we're the only two dudes <laughs> not in pajamas um, at this thing. And we basically, basically he had, we had a limo for the night and uh, it was just, he just, just filled it up with girls that came and like stayed the whole weekend. <laughs> so <laughs> That was insane. That was like week three. And I like called my friends in New York and was like, you're literally not going to believe this. <laughs> That's crazy, man. So it was just a lot of crazy shit like that. And then trying to write a book in the middle of it. Woo. Oh yeah. You're trying to get actual work done around Tommy Lee. It's probably not the easiest thing in the world. Um, it was, you know, honestly, it, we got to a point where the his manager was like, we got to see some words. And I was like, okay, I'm, I have a lot of stuff. And then I just... 
Uh, he was working on one of his two, the first of his two solo records, and his guitar player uh, J three, who's a, a friend of mine now. Um, he came out to work, so I basically sat in the studio while they did their thing, you know, with like music blasting, and just wrote right there. And it's it, it was actually the right way to do it. That's cool. So you did a book with Slash. We talked about a little bit earlier on the show. And what I read when I was doing some research is that like Slash was like against doing a book, but he finally met with you and then he was like, oh, I like this guy. So how did that all come about? Yeah, um, that, that is pretty much what happened. He had met with a bunch of other writers, I think seven or so over the years at various times. Um, I mean, I didn't like I, – I, he told me later, much later, that – the reason why he went with me was that I was the only person we stay. Okay. So he had me, I came out to LA and, um, we were supposed to meet, I was at the Roosevelt hotel. This is, this is pretty typical. It's pretty awesome actually. So we were supposed to meet at like eight o'clock and, um, he was like, yeah, Hey man. Um, I just, I just got a test drive a Ferrari in the Valley real quick. So <laughs> I'm going to be a little late. And I was like, I was like, okay. So totally normal um, excuse for being late, right? This is so awesome. I'm like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what color is it? <laughs> so um, so he did that and then he he didn't show up. And then he's like, um, hey man, you know, can you like we're gonna meet in the hotel of the the Hollywood Roosevelt. Or not the Hollywood Roosevelt, um Sunset Towers. And anyway, so then he was like, we were going to meet and then, you know, grab some food. So I sort of went down and got a table <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, man, uh, I got to do another errand, but can you guys, can you get like a bottle of vodka and some cranberry and have it in the room? I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I, <laughs> he didn't show up until about 1230. <laughs> so, and it was fine. And, um, <laughs> showed up 1230 and we ended up talking from then until seven in the morning, seven 30 wow. in the morning, which is amazing. Um, just looking out over the sunset strip and he was just like reminiscing and all this stuff. And he later told me that in that entire, the reason why he decided to do it is because in that entire time I didn't ask him one question about Axl Rose or Guns N' Roses. I mean, yeah, but you've got to think that that's probably all he gets asked. So, I mean, you, you were more interested in him and his story probably, right? Well, he started looking out over the Sunset Strip and remembered – he was uh, talking about how he got his nickname Slash and um, and just like looking at p places on the Strip and like things from his, his sort of teenage years pre-guns. And I was fascinated. I was just like – because, you know, Slash of all the guys probably – has said had said the least in the press through the entire you know span of Guns N' Roses career. He He's was kind of mysterious guy. a little bit, yeah, yeah. And I knew like you know his mom was a costume designer and um, she had done the costumes for Man Who Fell to Earth and and um, you know had an affair with David Bowie and his dad was an artist. Like I knew just the the facts about him like that, but he was just getting really into it and it was like riveting and it was I was totally fascinated about it. So. That's what did it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. So was that kind of you? That wasn't a co-write. You actually wrote the book, correct? Uh, well, I wrote it with him. Oh, yeah. with him. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's by him with me, which basically means you know, if it's if it's in someone's voice, it usually I'm gonna go with ninety eight percent of the time. There's someone else writing it for someone who's famous because usually they're busy or yeah. You, you, frankly, you should have a professional writer do it. That's that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, I mean, I wrote it all and, you know, 
he, he definitely read it and approved it because he uh, he had said that he had read it and had a couple notes and publisher was getting antsy because he didn't give me these notes. And eventually we, they just like were like, go get the notes and like flew me to Canada when he was on tour with Velvet Revolver. And when I got there, he's like opened the first page and started right then. I was like, I called him. I'm like, I'm going to be here a couple of days. <laughs> super funny he was like he's like yeah i just have a couple things and i he's like yeah yeah i've gone through the whole thing and i got there and he hadn't gone through a page but he had some things so we did these like marathon sessions um on the tour bus and when when he wasn't uh, doing anything for a few days there we had to like really gun it which was which was cool it was pretty funny it was funny though <laughs> he's hilarious what was it like being on the road with velvet revolver this is a you know it's called that one time on tour most of my guests tour nonstop for a living so even if not that time, maybe another time you were on the road with an artist or whatever. Do you have any like cool things you can tell us story wise about being on the road? Um, I mean, I've been on the road. I've done a lot of shows with Tommy. I uh, let's. I was on tour with Fleetwood Mac for like three weeks. That was amazing That's in 2013. Awesome. Writing Mick Fleetwood's book. That was a killer one because they do it first class baby yeah. <laughs> it was like it was they were playing jazz fest and, and like you know the ritz they, it's like ritz carlton only just beautiful food and you know um that was cool i mean i could tell you about i just did a story i was on tour with the struts band that i love yeah um, I, love, I love the struts man yeah i was on tour with them and the foo fighters last december that was my most recent kind of you know, living on the tour bus. But, and I was, you know, I was, I had my bunk and I was on tour for a week with those guys. And that was really fun. The Foo Fighters know how to throw a tour. <laughs> I yeah. would say that. The food was like amazing. The best catering food I've probably ever had. <laughs> it was so good. Like all vegan options if you wanted. And everyone was really jovial. And yeah, I had, I had a uh, Zach from rise against on the podcast and they did a big tour. They did Australia and some state shows with the Foo Fighters. And he was, he couldn't, he couldn't stop talking about how great those guys were on the road. Yeah, and they're super gracious to their opening bands. They're just like real, real, just a real good family, you know. Just uh, I get you know when you're when you're that successful, you can, you can afford to tour properly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But that was really fun. That was like my most, uh, probably my most recent bout on the road. Okay, I, I had something that I saw on the internet that I really want to ask you about. Uh, you started to or did do a book with Courtney Love. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I guess there was some issues with that. And uh, I think there was some litigation and whatnot. Can you kind of take me through that real quick? I can't tell you much because of the terms of said litigation. Okay. But, um, you know, I can't, I, I have to be like really careful with that, to be honest. But <laughs> okay. basically, you know, that what I can tell you, because these are just the facts, is that Courtney hired me to write a book. And, um, you know, contract all that stuff i wrote the book the book exists she had the right to not publish it if she didn't want to that was a clause in there which is fine but if we had passed a certain point in the writing and the publisher approved it and wanted to publish it then she had to pay me my like basically the full amount for writing yeah um and she just decided she didn't want to do that so <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, so and she i think she's you know she didn't she's not used to people being like, oh, well, I'm going to sue you. So I sued her and I won. <laughs> what Was there a lot of like hanging out with her to write the book as well? Or was it all just kind of research and whatnot? Oh, no, there was a lot of hanging out with Courtney. Oh, yeah. Uh, hours that I will never get back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got your friend, uh, Sean, actually your manager, Sean. Sean yeah, Sean's, yeah, Sean's a friend of mine. He was on the podcast and we talked quite a bit about Courtney. 
Yeah, well, you guys can refer to everything he said. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Um, and make sure it wasn't for me. But yeah, no, Courtney, listen, Courtney, Courtney is, is uh, I don't, you know, I like I said, I, uh, I'm allowed to like write about her journalistically, but to get the sort of, you know, the terms of our agreement, um, which were very much in our favor, the one thing that we sort of settled on is that like, a, you know, I'm not really supposed to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I get About you, the man. process and, you know, how it came to that and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but it's, it's a bummer because the book, I stand by the book. The book is like, it's, it's you know, it, she wanted to do her 90s rock life, yeah. you know, and I was much more interested in that than like, you know, her Hollywood little moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was like a one moment. Um, I was not as interested in that. So that's the book that we wrote, and it's really kick-ass. And I feel bad for all of the, the 90s rock fans that will not ever get to read this unless uh, she changes her mind or, you know, her estate changes her mind sometimes. Maybe she'll um, listen to this and she'll change her mind. Probably not, but maybe. <laughs> probably not. I mean, I hope so. It's really – it's you know, it. It. Uh, I will say this. The people that have read it, are like this sounds exactly like her. Okay. So yeah. So that I'm very proud of because that is like harnessing a um a tornado. <laughs> okay. A conversational tornado. Um to try to get that to make sense on the page. I'm proud of being able to do that. So well we'll switch gears a little bit. I want to know uh what you've got coming out currently or what you're working on. I know that you do have a new podcast coming out. And I, I'd love to hear about that a little bit. Okay. Um, well, writing wise, I am working on my second Eminem book. Um, the last 15 years of his career, everything since eight mile pretty okay. much. Cause it's been a pretty interesting run, you know, getting sober, lots of ups and downs. What did you yeah. think of his whole like uh, beef with machine gun Kelly? Oh, that's not a beef. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's just promo really. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I mean, you know, it's, I just like any single person you have to be the best you have to be a better battle rapper than eminem to even think about going after him yeah it doesn't matter if you think his stuff is whack now that guy his battle rapping skills are just better than anybody You're, he'll murder anyone well so, I, I put I it up i put funny. it up against i'm a big you know metal guy and when people like talk shit about metallica i'm like you can't take the first four records away i don't care what they've done since then yeah and also they'll still just like destroy you yeah um you know, it's yeah, they're just they're still great. Even if you don't like a lot of their stuff, they're still amazing. Um, so that's how I feel about anyone sort of calling it just going for Eminem. They're just looking for publicity. Yeah, they're just looking for people to check them out on YouTube. Exactly. Yeah. So um, and I mean, it must have worked because Machine Gun Kelly is now in that new movie Bird Box with with uh, Sandra Bullock. He was in Cameron Crowe's very short lived uh roadies? roadies yeah he was in that too yeah um i watched that because i'm a giant cameron fan and well you know what's funny when, when you're telling me about being on the road and you're, you're talking to these people and you're writing these books i keep getting the vision of almost famous in my head that's i mean that you're not the first to say it that's very much very much what life was like when i was at rolling stone and stuff like that you know um it really was. It was, it was, I, I feel a big affinity to that. I got to interview Cameron for the cover story for that movie and spent like a week with him. Um, and he's a huge inspiration to me. He gave me like quotes for my first Eminem book, uh, like, you know, for the, like a blurb and he doesn't really do that. He's only other done that for one other book and that's, um, 
the Lester Bangs autobiography wow. or bi- biography rather, um, which if you've seen the movie, you know how much Lester meant to him. Yeah. So um, Cameron is like I just a dear I adore Cameron. That's um, awesome. But yeah, but a lot of a lot of that, and and that's you know it. I, I mean, not to sound like too much of an old guy, but a lot of that just isn't really like that anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's just not, and it, not that long ago it still was, you know. So just like touring's different, and magazines are different, and digital consumption and storytelling is different, and so anyway. That movie. So you've got the new Eminem book that you're working on. Uh, anything else as far as like your writing? Yeah, new M book uh, working on now. Um, and then I have like a couple of other things that they're not. There's no. There's no contracts yet, so Sean will yell at me if I babble about it. But ooh, give me an exclusive. Um, Sean will. Sean will be fine. <laughs> shout <laughs> shout out to Sean. How you doing, man? Yeah, exactly. Sean Daly, yeah. uh, the one and only. He's got like a few different things lined up for me. Um, this publisher, that uh, that an English publisher and American publisher bought the Eminem book, they might want me to do a similar sort of think piece, uh, investigative, not really investigative, but that sounds like, you know, true crime, but um, <laughs> like a deep dive into the significance of the career of another major rapper. Okay. <laughs> um. We can speculate. Right we can speculate who that is. Yeah, we can speculate a New York rapper. Okay, um, I'll give you that. And so that's going on. And then uh, I've got a couple of other things. There's a, a pro skater I might write a co co-author a book with. Um, and then there's also uh, a guy who's very huge in the dog rescue world who has an amazing story, like a recovery story. And uh, he's incredible. Actually, Sean's going to be working with him too. So, cool. Those are those are all in the writing realm. Um, I got another. I got another call for a pretty big possible co-write. That with those kind of things, I never like to say too much because a lot of celebrities say they want to do it, and then their schedule changes. And you know, you have to have you got to commit enough time for me to get what I need to do my process. And some people just you know. All of a sudden, they have like a movie and all this stuff to do, and they just can't do it this yeah. year. So I hesitate with that. But I have all those all those writing things going, and then the podcast is something I've been working on um, that I'm really excited about. It's called Vinyl because, <laughs> like, wine and vinyl. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm a huge, I'm a big wine. I guess I'm a big wino, uh, <laughs> but like, wine is something I really adore. And I've gotten, you know, I'm pretty into the like food and wine world. Just living in New York, there's so many incredible restaurants. And I have a lot of friends that are either, you know, James Beard Award winning chefs and bartenders and just kind of people that I know. And um, I always end up talking to them about music because they, they always ask me tons of stuff about music. But so the podcast basically is I interview my subject. I add their, I, their su- My subject tells me their favorite record or a record that changed their life. And I pair it with a wine that I think reflects that record in some way. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and we sit down and sample the wine and talk about the wine, the record, and do a little interview. So if I gave you a record right now just off the cuff, could you think of a wine that would maybe pair with it well? Let's see how well I do. Go for it. Okay, here we go. Uh, let's say Master of Puppets by Metallica. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> the, cov- the cover is red, so I'm thinking maybe a red. Oh, well, definitely red because it's metal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would go, geez, let's see. I would probably <laughs> go with maybe like a really, I would want something kind of spicy because it's so like fast. Okay. Yeah. Fast, yeah. Fast, deep and dark. Um, I'd go for 
like maybe like a Cabernet Franc, like a really good one. Okay. Uh, a lot of herbal notes, sort of like not really fruity. It's just more like earthy. Tastes like, you know, like old rocks. <laughs> That's kind of what I would want to go for. And we, could, we could pair it with blood sausage too. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The best one is when I interview chefs, they always bring a snack. I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, that'd be, that'd be great, man. <laughs> See, yeah, most, so most of my guests are just on Skype or FaceTime. So I don't, I don't get any cool stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So I've been, you know, I've been working on that and, um, uh, this music festival in Long Beach music tastes good. Um, they're God bless them. They let me do this live in front of an audience without even having done a podcast. That was all Sean, by the way. Wow. <laughs> And that it went really well. I had two chefs, two musicians, and like we talked about Prince for an hour and drank like Petite Syrah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, so, man. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's been going well. I did, you know, I've got everyone from um, my friend DJ Dieselboy, who's like a drum and bass DJ, talked about like obscure 90s shoegaze records and Dungeons and Dragons because he's a huge nerd. <laughs> um, and then I did one with Tommy Lee, which is going to be really killer that he, we talked about uh, physical graffiti and he like you know talked about how much john bonham affected his life and stuff like that and tom doesn't really do a lot of interviews where he talks about music you know it's usually yeah. he's putting something so that was really special um gonna do one with mick fleetwood i'm gonna get you know it'll be the people that i've worked with who who drink and uh and a bunch of other fun people too i went to napa and interviewed like some of these some winemakers and stuff and they're like mad scientists they're amazing i interviewed this guy jeff Cohn, who's just like he he's just this kooky, amazing, so like Sonoma winemaker dude, and we talked about Steely Dan and Amy Winehouse. <laughs> <laughs> it was just cool. So I'm having a blast with it. It's just like a really fun way for me to um to do interviews because I sort of I do miss that from the days of being in a magazine. Yeah. Um, you know, like now when I do an interview uh, for a book, no one's going to read that interview for like a year until I get it out, you know? So it's kind of fun to be able to, to just do these like little short things and, and they're really fun. I've got a really good producer, um, who's like, you know, we have sound effects and music and all that kind of stuff. So I hope people dig it. So when, when does it drop? We are starting to release, um, our stuff January 15th. Awesome. So this will be out a couple of days before that, hopefully. So maybe, you know, you guys go out there and check it out. It's called Winyl, W-I-N-Y-L, just like vinyl with a W. And uh, do you have a, what are your socials? What are ways people can find that and find stuff on you online as far as like, you know, Instagram, Facebook, stuff like that? Okay. Um, well, Winyl on Instagram is Winylgram. Um, and it's a, it's a, you know, on Facebook, it's just like at Winyl, I believe, or it's Winyl me. I should really know this. I think it's Winyl me, but uh, <laughs> I, I think people, it. people know how to use socials. They'll just search for it. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. If you go to my page, like I have a, you know, my author page on Facebook has all that stuff, but yeah, the Instagram for Winyl is Winylgram and everything will probably be linked from there. There's also going to be Winyl online, which will be a website, um, that's off of my website, uh, which is anthonyaboza.com. Um, and you'll find all the stuff there. Like all the episodes will be there. It'll send you to iTunes and we're going to have it on, you know, um, Spotify and everything else. Cool. Well, man, I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, I feel like I've, I've heard some pretty cool stories, man. You've had, you've probably had a pretty insane life and hopefully it continues to be just as cool, man. Oh, thanks, bud. This is great. This is really fun. So everybody go out there and check out the podcast, Winyl, and buy one of Anthony's books. There are a lot of them out there to choose from. So just get on. They can just search for you on Amazon and all your books will come up, right? 
Everything's on Amazon. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, if you go to my website, uh, if you go to my website, you'll see every single cover story and a lot of my articles that I wrote from Rolling Stone that you can like download and read the PDFs. And then there's basic, there's a page for each one of my books, a little like behind the scenes quotes from me and links to Amazon and all that stuff. Cool. So that might, that's the easiest way. It's just a, a boza.com. Cool. Well, man, I just, I appreciate you so much for coming on the show. And the only thing that I ask is if Eminem ever wants to do a little tiny podcast, have him hit me up. Okay. Jeez. Yeah, I will dude. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Anthony and good luck with the podcast and everything you've got coming up. And, uh, when you're, when the podcast comes out and it's doing well, or if you have another book come out, the Eminem book, come on back and talk about it, man, with me. All right. We'll do. Thanks, Chris. Thanks a lot, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Anthony Boza. I had a wonderful time talking to Anthony. And um, everybody out there, make sure to check out his new podcast, Vinyl, just like vinyl, but with a W. It dropped uh, Monday, I believe. Uh, this podcast is coming out in the middle of the week. So I think it's up. So go to iTunes or wherever you check out podcasts and check out Vinyl with Anthony Boza. Uh, hopefully we'll have Anthony back in the future when his new book comes out. So check out all of his stuff. Go to Amazon. It's all there. You won't be sorry. Uh, next week on the show. I'm super, super excited about this. I got to sit down and have a conversation with Matt Penfield. Matt Penfield is a legend. He is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He hosted 120 Minutes on MTV. He did a bunch of stuff with VH1. He did the old Farm Club show. I don't even remember what station it was on, but it was really cool with all kinds of new bands. He had a radio show. He's a great guy. He's a wealth of knowledge about music, and we talked about so much cool stuff, and I can't wait for you guys to hear that, but that is next week, so make sure that you come back next week. And uh, you can hear my conversation with Matt. I've got a lot of great guests coming up in the future. So check out the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter. And I'm always posting updates and letting you guys know what is going on. It's at TOTOT podcast. But uh, I am going to get out of here now. And we do not have any music to play this week because, you know, I'm not going to play Eminem or something. I, I don't want to get sued. So uh, I'm going to get out of here. But thank you guys so much for checking everything out. Check out my sponsors, Your Button Guy, Sticker Wolf, Muncie Music Center, Rockabilia.com. And check out Punk with a Camera, the really cool guy that sponsored this episode there at the beginning. But uh, I'm out of here. Till next week. Take care of yourselves. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this journey. I love doing this podcast, and I'm so glad that you are in my life and that I am in your life. So I will talk to you guys next week, and if you're in the Midwest or anywhere where the snow is going to hit, be safe, and I'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Bye. Chris, this is David W. from just outside of Austin, Texas, your first patron on Patreon. I just want to tell you thank you for everything you're doing. I love it, every bit of it, even the guys I've never heard before. It's uh, introducing me to new music and, you know, being about the same age as you, I've been doing this for quite some time, but on the fan side and, you know, still be discovering music is just an awesome thing. So really appreciate what you're doing. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear. 
The people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember. The ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.